0: Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We are your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today we are joined by our special guest, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, man. Uh, where are you from, John? I'm from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, cool. Cool. Right, man. you're you're a ways away. We're, we're here in Baltimore getting uh, severe thunderstorms and tornadoes, so, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Third yeah. tornado this week. Yeah, third, like, tornado this week. It's been pretty crazy. Um, so is crazy. Yeah. When were you first introduced to recovery? When was I first introduced to recovery? Like, this time around, or...? A- Any time, just a- a- at all in your life.
1: Okay, uh, I would say the first time I was introduced to recovery was uh, in 2014, in March. Um, and it was... It was kind of like my first time around trying to get sober, mm-hmm. uh, but it didn't stick yeah. um, until this time around. And so my recovery date I say is May seventh
0: of uh, twenty eighteen. Oh, nice. Well, congratulations. That was going to be my next question: is uh, what? How long have you been uh, sober?
1: Uh, now I can say I'm over a year sober, which is awesome to say. Yeah, man.
0: Hell yeah, man. Absolutely. Congratulations on your uh, year of sobriety. And with all that out of the way, we're going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So take it away.
1: Awesome. Um, so, let's see. I, I grew up um, in a good family. Um, it was a rough childhood, though, uh, mm-hmm. with my family because it was... We we grew up Christian, but at the same time we grew up Hispanic, so we had a mix of weird cultures. Hmm. Um, and I also grew up Catholic on top of Christian, so I didn't know what I believed in and why I believed what I believed. Ah. Um, and then I got um, some teachings from my family that didn't really coincide with like my religion because Hispanic beliefs and like Christian beliefs kind of don't mix all the time, like, with the culture. Um, and then I grew up with two sisters, and one older, one younger, so I was a middle child, and I was, like, the black sheep of the family. Um, so I just kind of did my own thing. I didn't really fit in with my family, mm-hmm. and that caused problems later on. And so I would say that um, I, I just... How do I want to word this? I, I always felt lonely, And I always try to find a way to escape that loneliness. Mm -hmm. And um, even in school, I was like a straight-A student, and so I didn't have many friends Mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't fit the Hispanic culture or the culture of, like, my social class. Um, And so I was just doing whatever I could to try to fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, So in uh, in high school is when I actually started using... um, Uh, I was with, I was on the baseball team at school, which was like the only thing I was good at, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) uh, besides being a straight A student. The only thing that made me semi-normal was playing baseball. Um, and so one summer between freshman year and sophomore year, um, I was introduced to what they call the gateway drug, marijuana. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when I started using. Um, uh, we were at the park, we kind of jumped the fence to a school park um, and we just, I, I joined out of peer pressure. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to do it myself. I was interested, but I knew everyone else was doing it. Yeah. Um, so y- you understand. Oh, um, yeah. it, was, it was, it was, yeah, it was one of those things where I wanted to do it, but at the same time, I didn't want to do it, but I was curious about it. So I was like, why not? Mm-hmm. But uh, like, I grew up a good and goody. Yeah. So this was very out of my shell. Um, but I wanted to be like everyone else, and I didn't want to feel alone. And then as soon as I got that high, it was something that I loved. Yeah. Um, and I tried to change that for years after. Um, I did different things, um, smoked what I could, took what I could, snorted what I could mm-hmm. um, for the rest of... <laughs> until I got sober. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would say it progressively got worse until senior year um when I got hooked on pills mm-hmm. I had surgery on um my deviated septum um oh. and that was when I was introduced to like painkillers and mm-hmm. uh, different kinds of just pills and um it just uh, right away unfortunately I fell in love it was like love at first sight yeah um and I have an addictive personality which <laughs> isn't the best thing no especially um, not for pills no, especially not for pills. Um, and so uh, my mom was on some of the same, but uh, stronger for her back because she's uh, mm-hmm. uh, she's disabled. so I ended up running out of my pills and I stole her pills one day and I just uh, I remember I stole a lot mm-hmm. um, and I ended up getting scared. Um, and waking her up and letting her know what had happened. She didn't know I was on anything at this point, really. Mm She didn't know I was doing drugs or even smoking weed. Um, so I woke her up and she was scared. Um, Mm -hmm. she was frightened. She didn't know what to do. Um, she like pumped me with bread. I remember that. She's like, eat bread. Keep eating bread. Don't fall asleep. Eat more bread. What? Absorb the pills. Um, is that a thing? And we just stayed I up. I was,
3: like, drinking.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but that's what that's what we did. Okay. Um, All right. I don't know if it's true, but uh, I'm alive today. Yeah. Um, it worked, yeah. Yeah. I just <laughs> really more than I could. Yeah. Um, so I kind of stopped for a little bit on that. It scared me, but I guess not enough to stay sober mm-hmm. uh, because um, – Within weeks, I started I hadn't drank up to this point, and I thought I was a good boy because I didn't drink alcohol. So mm-hmm. I could do all the drugs in the world, but I'm still a good boy because I didn't drink. Huh. Um, and I know alcoholism is something that ran in my family, but I never thought it was like a real um, a real monster. I mm-hmm. guess I didn't understand it for the allergy that it is. yeah, um, so i was I was fine. I was like, no, I can drink. And so, Um, My family and I got into a a huge uh, fight, which wasn't rare, Um, but this one, it got to the point where I'm just like, I'm packing my stuff, I'm leaving, so um, I didn't necessarily get kicked out, but I didn't feel welcomed home, Um, so I started sleeping at the apartment of this couple that I had met um, as a cat counselor uh, that summer, and they introduced me to Fireball. Um, To what? So, I was 18. To Fireball. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And I was 18. Uh, I was about to start college in a couple of weeks. And I remember my first drink was um, with my friend. Well, he, former friend. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a some shot glasses and we just did some shots. Um, and within a couple, he was like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to bed. And I'm like, I like this. Can I keep going? Yeah. And he was like, sure. Um and right away, again, I fell in love, which is not a good thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I love the effects it had. Uh, I loved how it made me feel um, not depressed and not lonely, but instead it made me feel confident. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun at the time. Um, I can't lie about that. Like, the effects right away, I love. Yeah. Um, so, I continued that. Night and I ended up polishing off his brand-new hot of fireball. <laughs> the next morning, he was... Surprise, and I was like, Is that not normal? And he's like, No, that's not, but that's okay. It was your first time drinking, no big deal. Yeah, um, and then I ended up going through a like a binge drink uh, season for the next couple of weeks where I woke up, I drank, I fell back to sleep. I woke up, I drank, I fell back to sleep, mm. and I didn't even, it's not like I slept at night, it was like I slept when I could, yeah, and most of the time was breathing. Um, whatever I could get my hands on. So I started stealing stuff from my parents' home. I started stealing stuff from them. I spent my uh, high school graduation money on buying alcohol, um, somehow getting a hold of it. So I would pay other people to buy it for me, obviously, because I'm 18. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, I ended up spending so much. And then um, on top of that, like, it stopped becoming fun. And I was just getting... My depression was exacerbating because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I... I didn't know what I was doing. I was spiraling. And then um, I remember one night I was uh, texting a friend that I was by the canal and I was suicidal and I wanted to jump in.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: ended up calling the police on me. Um, and stupid drunk me is like texting him where I'm at um, and freaking him out. But then like the cops are walking up to me and I'm like freaking out. So I'm texting him more. Yeah. Only knowing that he's released the message to the cops. Um, which at the time I was pissed off. But now looking back, I'm so thankful. Mm -hmm. Um, They came like, hey, are you John? And I'm like, depends. (laughs)
2: They're
1: like, have you been drinking? I'm like, no, no, I'm not drinking. They were like, can we search your backpack? I'm like, sure. Pull out (laughs) a container of vodka that was full, that's now empty, and a bunch of cans of that uh, margarita mix. Um, they're like, oh really, what's this? And I'm like, those are my water bottles. (laughs) Um, yeah, I lied straight to a police officer and it wasn't even a good lie. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what else, I don't know. But, um, my friend was there with him and the policeman actually sent me home and didn't have any legal ramifications. He said, go home with your friend. I'm like, Okay. Yeah, I jumped on that because I was shaking. I thought I was going to jail for underage drinking or something. We were going to be locked up through suicide with us. Yeah. Something. He was just like, go home with your friend. And I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I went home with uh, my friend and we went to um, uh, a friend's apartment. And when I was there, I had a bunch of people there in a circle on the couches and everything waiting for me. Uh, um, oh, yeah. It was... Yeah, they're like, it, it was an intervention. Yep. They're like, hey, you just started drinking like a month ago, and you've gone wild like right away. Mm-hmm. There's something that's up, and really help. I'm like, nope. I start college in two weeks. Um, I'm I can't afford to though. I move into campus in two weeks. Yeah. And they're like, mm-hmm, no. So I was like, no, I'm good. Um, and I told them it'd be fine. Um. And so I just left it off that night and I ended up not going into any facility, mm-hmm. which right now, I, not right now, but I regret not going at that time because it would have saved a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. Yeah, um, yeah, you guys know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, taking yeah. that full steps ahead of time would have definitely saved me a lot. So I'm going to college. It's my freshman year. I'm for the first semester i'm going to class intoxicated or high
2: um
1: every class mm-hmm. if i go um and somehow i managed to get a 4.0 in their honors college but wow. i use the excuse oh i can't study without being high or intoxicated because i have adhd so i'm like oh it helps me focus it helps me study mm-hmm. um which i'm not gonna lie it kind of did when i was high was it um, well, what was experience. it were you taking
0: like adderall or what I was, I was snorting
1: some pills, yeah, mm-hmm. um, like Adderall. And I was uh, smoking weed or getting drunk. And somehow any of that with my brain chemistry um, helped me focus. It calmed me down, mm-hmm. helped me focus. But once I was done, I would go into that depression again. So there's that under, underlying like, condition that I wasn't dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then I I remember one night I took so many pills again and I started freaking out because I changed my mind of what I wanted to do. At first, I wanted to die. And then after I took the pills, I'm like, oh, crap. And I was drunk.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I realized that so I got to the top of one of the buildings at uh, uh, on campus, and I was going to jump, but then I changed my mind again, and I started texting people. And so the the campus security arrested me. Um, they're like, are you drunk? And I'm like, No. <laughs> <laughs> I convinced them that I wasn't, and I was able to act sober when I needed to. Mm -hmm. And then they did a mental eval, and they cleared me to go. Um, But basically, I was just a hot mess throughout college uh, freshman year. Um, I remember I led, like, um, a young adults retreat um, to uh, Prescott here in Arizona, which is, like, a forest area, really nice weather. Phoenix is really hot, so it's a contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, press gets really cool, windy, so we went up there, um, and I remember me and a close friend of mine who was a pastor's kid who was struggling with the same things I was, we ended up uh, getting two bottles of Jack Daniels and taking some of his random pills that he had, they were antipsychotics. So i was like, here, try this, this is fine, I'm like, okay, um, yeah, I wasn't the smartest. <laughs> um, I, I don't... I still don't... Um, it's a lifetime of rain now, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, but we drove up to the top of a mountain while everyone else was down at the cabin, and we just drank and talked about life because I was so closed off that my closest friends didn't know how I was feeling or anything about me. Mm. So he got some pills into me, got some alcohol into me, we started talking, and he realized like how much I actually need help. Yeah. Um, but... um. I black. I remember blacking out, and I remember just, like, audio of it. I made phone calls and stuff telling the people at the cabin that were uh, stuck. I even professed my love to a girl that I thought I was in love with at the time, and they were really small, Ooh. which didn't turn out very well. No. Um, no. And so um, I remember us getting stuck. I remember vaguely getting out of the car and trying to push, and I just kept falling because we got stuck on the side of the mountain and I'm trying to push his vehicle, and I keep slipping because I'm drunk. Mm -hmm. Um, The next thing I remember, um, one of the friends from, we're back at the cabin, and one of my friends at the cabin is, like, having to shower me off because the friend I was with threw up all over me. Um, And then I remember being in the cabin, and somehow I'm in bed, and my friends kept checking on me um, because apparently I kept uh, ceasing to breathe. So they kept coming in and, like, having to wake me up. And mm-hmm. I, it was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I didn't find out till the next day. Every, I woke up at 6 a.m. and I'm feeling great. I'm ready for the hike that we had planned. Everyone's pissed off at me and I don't know why. Yeah. So, um, that was my first time getting sober after that night. Mm-hmm. March 24th, I believe, of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, And... It lasted for two years, but I did it myself. I didn't use any program.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then when I was coming up towards graduation of college, I relapsed and mm-hmm. I was still depressed. And it was an issue that I didn't take care of. Um, so I'm about to graduate. I'm graduating with two degrees, top um, nice. of my class, 3.9 GPA. And it was, life was good, but I had nothing set up after college and it stressed me out and it depressed me. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I was with some trauma that I'd never dealt with before. Um, mm. So I started drinking again. It started slowly. I didn't recognize myself as an alcoholic. I was just scared mm-hmm. um, of drinking and using. So that's why I've been sober. I didn't recognize myself as an addict or an alcoholic at that point. Mm. Um, so I graduated great. I was the most lonely and depressed I've ever been. I moved in with um, a pastor who was like a dad to me and we um, just fought all the time. And I remember um, another pastor friend I invited to my house for 4th of July, and I was drinking at that time, and I just kept gulping down drinks like a fish. And he was um, sober, and he was in the program. um, Mm. And then the next day, we had like an intervention at Denny's where he is yelling at me across the table in this public place, that I have a drinking problem. And he knows what he's talking about because he's in recovery. That's now not like, appropriate for Denny's,
0: about? right? That's, not a Denny's. No, no, that's messed up. At least like maybe may, an may, IHOP. Yeah, maybe an IHOP, but not a Denny's.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know. So at that time, I didn't realize that he's trying to do my one step for me, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm just not happy with. It. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not happy. It. I'm like, no, I don't have a drinking problem. Whatever. And so I just cut off ties with him, and I'm living with this past. We are arguing all the time, Um, and then my depression is just getting worse and worse. And so um, I checked myself into a mental hospital in August, Um, and I I was maybe two days sober, like I hadn't drank, but Mm -hmm. I didn't accept to have a problem. Um, So I checked myself into a mental hospital for a suicide attempt, and um, there they like gave me all these tests. It was the most humiliating yet helpful time of my life. And I'm so thankful that I did it mm-hmm. no matter what the outcome was. Yep. Um, but while I was in there, they were like, you have a problem with alcohol. And I'm like, maybe if a professional telling me, <laughs> then this may be the case. Mm-hmm. And so even then I fully understand what that meant. Yeah. I had gone to a before and I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, um, so, uh, why didn't, why, there, didn't
0: pass with a, mm-hmm. why didn't you like that first yeah. meeting?
1: Um, it felt like people were just complaining about their life and the advice I had got was, oh, just don't drink or use between meetings. I'm like, okay, so your new addiction becomes a meeting. Right. Um, and I didn't understand at the time what they were actually talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why, um, okay. good question. But I didn't like that meeting because they just felt like people complaining at that specific one. Mm -hmm. So I never went back to that specific one. Mm -hmm. Um, But I go to different ones, and I find so much experience, strength, and hope there. Um, So I think it was just like a one-off case. Yeah, Um, it happens. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So while I was in the mental hospital, the pastor that I was living with actually kicked me out. Um, He was like, we don't feel equipped to handle you. And so I moved back in with my parents, and then that's when we developed a relationship. Mm-hmm. I started going to a recovery meeting mm-hmm. uh, with friends, and I actually enjoyed it. And then I started doing the step work with my sponsor and going through what it looks like to be an alcoholic and have this allergy. And, like, I identify with all of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so I did my step work, and um, I'm actually running through it again now um, because I felt like I didn't get the most out of it the first time because I was still reluctant to accept the fact that I have this allergy. yeah, And I know I need to experience that to my innermost self. And so I would say the second time I'm doing my step work uh, for the past couple months, I've really like that mental obsession has finally left me, Mm -hmm. um, which I didn't think was ever gonna happen. Like I was almost a year sober. I did my steps, I had a sponsee, but I still have this mental obsession. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, why? Why do I always want to drink or use? Mm -hmm. I don't understand a good day. I want to celebrate. I want to drink Bad day. I I want to forget about it. I want to drink. Mm -hmm. And so we're running through my steps again. And it's my step one. And I'm like, you know what? There was always part of me that was like, what if I'm not really an alcoholic and I'm wasting my time and I could be drinking. And then I realized that's exactly the thoughts an alcoholic would have. A normal person does not ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I'm here today, experiencing um, a year sober, um, experiencing, I turned 24, so I'm young, um, in the same month. So, I celebrated my birthday and my belly button birthday the same month, and I got engaged. And I'm able to do that because I'm sober today. That's um, awesome. So, yeah. So, it's been a crazy month, um, the month of May. <laughs> um, but I, I couldn't be happier. I've, it's taken a lot of work, taken a lot of therapy, um, taken medication, uh-huh. um, but I've put in the footwork and I've realized like I deserve to be happy and I deserve to be sober. And so working through my own issues and my uh-huh. own trauma that happened in my life that caused these issues, um, I'm able to experience that, that joy and that freedom instead of succumbing to this cunning and baffling and powerful disease um so yeah that's all I have with
0: that and I'll pass. All right, fantastic. Um it's great. Great job. Yeah. All right, we definitely have some questions for you. Um, but, awesome. but, um I'm going to start Eric as always. As that's not always. Go ahead. I I, I... I yield to you enough.
3: Okay, go ahead.
0: Okay. So, um, you said you were hesitant. At one point, you were really hesitant to identify as either like an addict or an alcoholic. Um, describe that hesitation and like what, what, why, what was the hesitation about, and how did you get over that? Okay. Um, so, I
1: think um, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. I think that mm-hmm. hesitation came from. Um, I feel like, I always felt like I needed to be the perfect person uh-huh. in general uh-huh. and the perfect person can't have a problem. Ooh. Um, perfect, perfect person can't be anything that deviates from like that ideal person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so no, I can't because I just can't, it can't be me. I can't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that hesitation partly came from that it partly came from the fact where I just thought in the back of my head that I, I just couldn't, yeah. I couldn't be an alcoholic or I couldn't be an addict. Like I know it runs in my family, but it can't be me. Mm. Um, or I thought maybe I didn't drink enough or like do enough crazy stuff. Cause I heard people's stories mm-hmm. and I'm like, I didn't experience that much damage, but I kept trying to compare myself to others and that's where that hesitation came in too. It's like, no, I have my own things yeah. that other people can relate with. There are still like crazy and wild and things that uh, other people will be able to relate with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of it just came from that comparison game of trying to be the perfect person and not being um, in the same place as other people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I actually have a follow up to that. Um, so actually, finally, like getting past that that hesitation and getting to that that level of humility where you can surrender. Um, describe that to me, and how empowering was it to finally like really admit to yourself that like
1: I do have a problem. Are you talking about when I got sober, or this last time that I went to the first step? Um, both. Okay. So I think uh, when I finally did it, I had a problem uh, was when I was told that and I went to a concert and I took a drink and I realized I want more. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, there's a problem here. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't want alcohol as much as I want it right now. Mm-hmm. I only had a shot and this is all I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, I got to a meeting. Um, I started, uh, my friend found me a sponsor cause I'm very introverted. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I don't even want to be here. He's like, we're getting you a sponsor. So <laughs> he found me a sponsor. Um, um, we did the step work. We ended up not working out very well because I relapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nothing that he did wrong. It's just he couldn't do the steps in a way that related to my mental health. Yeah. So he kind of, he didn't pass me off, but for lack of better terms, he passed me off to his friend mm-hmm. who has experience with uh, mental health. Okay. And so he became my sponsor. We went through the steps, and I'm like, yeah, um, I have a problem, but I, I I don't feel it as empowering, like you're asking him the question at the time. Hmm. It wasn't empowering to me. It was very saddening for me. Huh. But now that I went through the I'm going through the steps again, and I'm at that first step when I'm like, I am an alcoholic. That was very empowering because I was able to admit it to my innermost self. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I am an alcoholic. I have that allergy. Now that I know what I have, I'm able to fight it. Mm-hmm. So it gave me that empowerment to um, fight it every day because it's an everyday struggle for alcoholics and addicts yeah. to be able to fight the good fight. Um, mm-hmm. To wake up to say that third step prayer, to say that seven step prayer, um, to be able to experience, um, joy and freedom from our addictions and alcoholism, um, it comes from that place of empowerment of like, Hey, I have something that's part of me, but it isn't me.
2: Mm
3: All right.
0: Beautiful. That was great. Does that make
3: sense? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Eric. What have you got? Um, so you kind of just touched on this a little bit as far as, um, working steps that, and, like, how the steps also are working not only on your alcoholism or addiction, but also on your mental health. And um, so how what are you doing today to help treat your mental health disorders?
1: Good uh, good question. So let me give some backstory. It's sophomore year, when I was sober the first time, I found out that I could get accommodations for ADHD, I'd never been diagnosed before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went in to get diagnosed so I could get paperwork, so I could get accommodations on school. Not that Mm -hmm. I really needed it at the time, uh, but later on it ended up being very beneficial for my depression. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was there, I got diagnosed with um, ADHD, like extreme ADHD. um, So not just like regular, hey, I can't pay attention. So like, it was bad. Um, I got diagnosed with unspecified anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, persistent depressive disorder. Um, Later on, I experienced an eating disorder, bulimia, where I would work out every day, barely eat. I went from over 200 pounds to 120 in a few months. Um, And then when I got out of the mental hospital, I was diagnosed with ultra cycle, ultra, ultra rapid cycling bipolar, which is not common. Um, And so taking all these medications before that wasn't helping because I really had bipolar. So I was taking a bunch of different antidepressants and Mm -hmm. none of it worked because I needed a mood stabilizer, but it was hard to figure out that I had bipolar because, um, the type that I had had, um, because I had comorbid depression and ADHD. Um, it, some of the symptoms in both of those are found in this type of bipolar. So
2: Hmm.
1: that's why it took so long to diagnose. Yeah. Um, so what I'm doing today um, is I'm working my steps, I'm doing my program, I see a therapist, I'm on medication that works, and it took a while to get there, because it is a guessing game, unfortunately, with um, medication. Um, so I went through a lot of different ADHD medications, mm-hmm. I went through a lot of antidepressants, mm-hmm. luckily I only went through one bipolar medication, mm-hmm. but I'm, I meditate and pray every day, I do self-care, I make sure there's balance in my life, I make sure that my mental health comes first because if I'm not in a good place, I'm no use to anyone. Absolutely. Yep.
3: All right, good. And um real quick, um, since you touched on uh, eating disorders, you know, I guess you don't hear about it as much with men as you do with women. Yeah. And um Yeah. I, I had some struggles with eating disorders in the past and I think you know, for me at least, the root for for me personally, the root of that is a lot to do with control but then also a lot to do with self image yep. and how that how i see yep. myself and no matter yeah. what i see in the mirror isn't what actually is reflecting back um so i guess how is your relationship with food today and also how do you how do you work on seeing yourself in a positive light rather than you know the way that you saw yourself when you're
1: acting out on an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good questions. Um, so, like you said, a lot of the times um, for anything, uh, for me- for eating disorders, it's usually a control thing of trying to control something.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: mine was, I was controlling calories, I was controlling that number on the scale, um, and that, that was something in my chaotic life that I could control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then body dysmorphia is more the, the image Yep. Of where you see um, something that's different than what is actually there, and I have that as well. Um, so, trying to digest the question, <laughs> um, I'm for me getting that image, um, that distorted image, rectified is something that I'm still doing today. Yep. And mm-hmm. I've gained weight since I've been sober, and it's been taking a toll on me. And there's still days where um, very few, very few and far between where I succumb to, like, the desires to make myself purge. Um, (laughs) Mm. But it's usually when it's a pink thing, when my life feels chaotic. Um, With the body dysmorphia, I have a beautiful, wonderful fiancé who fights all my negative self-talk, and I'm able to talk openly and honest with her, and and she reminds me that God loves me for who I am, and she loves me for who I am. And I don't need to have, like, a six-pack. I don't need to be skinny. I don't need to be muscular. That doesn't define who I am. It doesn't define my personality. Mm -hmm. It doesn't define what I've accomplished and what I will accomplish. Um, And so it's having that um, positive self-talk from her and then from my friends that really support me and understand what I've been through and are able to see it not as me, like, crying for attention, because it can come off that way at times. Yeah. Mm. Where it's like, oh, I'm fat. It's like, no, I really feel, like, fat and useless, and I'm ashamed of it. Mm. Um, So it's them understanding and just not feeding into that, but fighting against it.
0: Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's a great answer. All right. I want to... I want to dial it back a little bit and have a fun question real quick. Mm -hmm. So you said, you you said you were a baseball player. I have, I have a a few questions, a few questions there. Uh, what, what team was, is, or was your team? Who was your favorite baseball player? And what position did you like playing the most?
1: Awesome. So with my ADHD, I actually hate watching sports, but I love playing it. But (laughs) as a kid from Arizona, I love the Diamondbacks, and my favorite uh, player, Luis Gonzalez. Okay, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and he's Gonzo, yeah. He was like an icon. Yeah. Um, Or or Randy Johnson, Mm -hmm. um, of course. They're both icons for the team. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: But my favorite position to play is um, I love playing outfield. I played outfield for three out of my four years, so freshman year. I was on the freshman team. Sophomore year was on JV. I switched high school, and I wasn't allowed to play in my third year, but I still practiced huh. with the team on the outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, some some role for preventing recruiting, I wasn't allowed to play for a year. Ah. Um, and in my senior year, they started me off at second and short. I'd never played before in my life. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was good at it. Um, but my favorite position to play is definitely outfield because I don't have to pay attention the whole time. Yeah. I hear a ball hit. My attention span, like, zones in on where the ball is. I run to it. I feel that uh, that impact of the ball in my glove, and okay. I throw it. Like, it's the best thing ever.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Awesome. Um, yeah, we we got to have fun questions, too. i not, I got a real question. Yeah, I'm, I love some questions.
3: Okay,
0: um, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. You're such a jerk, Eric. Um, okay, so how um, describe how dealing with addiction in your relationship has been, and like how rough was it for you to deal with? How, like, what kind of toll did it take on your your relationship with your fiance, and how has now recovery mm-hmm. benefited that?
1: Awesome. Um, so when I was with her, I was in the program, mm-hmm. um, and I also relapsed. Mm-hmm. So she and I have been together for over a year, and I relapsed in May of last year, um, twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Sorry, um, which is not my sober date, um, but uh, she knew uh, kind of what she was getting into okay. because I explained it to her. Because I'm a very transparent guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think she understood. Yeah. So knowing and understanding. Two different things. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So when I called her and let her know that I relapsed, I was expecting her to break up with me. Mm -hmm. The opposite happened. I was given such grace, such mercy, such love um, that I've never experienced in my life before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that this was a long-term thing, if not forever. Um, she, She was like, I love you. I don't understand what you're going through and I'm not going to try to pretend that I do. Mm. Um, But I'm going to love you for who you are and I'm going to work through you with it. Um, I'm not leaving your side. Um, I'm not ashamed of you and you shouldn't be ashamed of this. This was an action. It wasn't a good action, but it doesn't define who you are because you are so much more the impact that you make in people's lives, the impact that you will make on people's lives. Um, And she just encouraged me and she stuck on my side and now we're engaged.
0: Cool. Awesome. Definitely sounds like a keeper, man.
1: Right? I'm so glad. Yeah. All right, Eric,
0: what
3: you got? So, um, you know, you talked a few times about how suicide, it kind of, it kind of was a repeating um, yeah. part of your story. And, you know, being someone who is definitely – you know, thought about and tried, um, Mm -hmm. suicide. It's not, it's not something that necessarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, everyone's different, but at least for me, it is like an option that is thought about on occasion. And, (laughs) you know, especially with depression, like these thoughts can come up, like where the easiest way out, you know, is that. So I don't, I don't know if this happens for you, but, if a suicidal thought does arise, you know how do you combat that? Now, after Good being question. in recovery, that's a great, freaking question.
1: Good question. Um, so, like you said, suicide, There's but there's a difference between suicidal thoughts and being suicidal. Yeah, mm-hmm. suicidal yes. thoughts happen. Um, Anyone can have them. You cannot be depressed. It's just hey, this is a thought, mm-hmm. and um, the best way in that scenario. Is, it's what's called acceptance and commitment therapy act where you accept the thought, Hey, I'm feeling, um, and then you commit to changing it. It's like mm-hmm. a new novel form of counseling, uh, that not many people have heard of or use, but this is what I use. Um, especially in my depression, I use, um, a lot of, I'm a counseling major. Um, right now I'm getting two master's degrees, one in divinity and one in addiction counseling. Um, this one's not even taught in my degree program because it's so new. Um, nice. But it's, it's something that I I use and my therapist has used with me where um, we identify the thoughts. Mm. We recognize it and we recognize whether it's our thought or the depression talking. And we um, we call it out for what it is. So if it's a depressing thought, it's not a normal thought, that's my depression talking and I have to recognize that. And I picture it as like, a little man on my shoulder, like the angel and the devil,
2: With mm-hmm. the
1: angel being my normal thoughts and the devil being those distorted uh, cognitions. And so uh, I have to recognize that thought for what it is. Hey, that's not a good thought. That's not a normal thought. That's not a healthy thought. Um, and so when it comes to suicidal thoughts, like it's so easy to think that we're doing what's best for everyone when we're suicidal. Mm-hmm. We think no one wants us around. We're just a burden. So it's not... Being selfish, like people think, in my opinion, yeah. it's being selfless. We yep. We're a burden to everyone, mm-hmm. and we think people are better off without us. Um, or at least that's my my case and my experience with yep. it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, it always irritates me when people are like, oh, they were so selfish. No, they thought they were being selfless. Yep. Um, but it's hard to see the different perspectives when you're depressed. It's hard to see the people that you would actually be hurting mm-hmm. um, when you're depressed and suicidal. Um, so the way I combat that is I, I recognize it for what it is. I identify it. And then I, I dispute it with, uh, rational thoughts and factual thoughts. I think about how it would affect my fiance. I keep wanting to say girlfriend, my fiance. I have that trouble um, too. I do.
0: I mean, I'm engaged <laughs> too. And I still call
1: her my girlfriend. It's weird. <laughs> well, congrats on that. But yeah, uh, that's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Um,
0: but, uh, yeah, I recognize it for what it is, and I mm-hmm. try to change it. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Um, do, 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 do. Um, all right. Uh, you said you had uh, two years of um, sobriety, not necessarily recovery, um, where yeah. you, you did it on your own. Um, tell me about those two yeah. two years and uh, what's different from, like, just being – by yourself staying sober versus being in a actual like recovery program and like what, what catch kept, you, kept yeah. you sober those couple years?
1: I wouldn't even say I was sober. I would say I'm dry. So yeah. with sobriety comes a whole mindset change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was the same irritable discontent person those two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically what kept me dry was fear of dying, even though at the same time I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. So it's very, contradictory and paradoxical. Oh yeah. Um but good word. Even though I wanted to die, I was afraid of dying and okay. I was afraid of the effect it would have on me. And then um honestly like I was getting more and more involved in church and that last year of being dry, um I was uh I was a pastor at my church. Hmm. I was on the worship team. I was a youth intern and I co led the young adults ministry. So I was involved heavily in my uh, belief system and that helped keep me dry, but it didn't help keep me sober. And then when I started mm. facing um, recovery from a traumatic event that I had, that's when I started drinking again and using again, really. Um, before that, uh, I slowly started drinking because I thought I could drink like a gentleman, but it didn't really <laughs> hit boot until um, I started dealing with trauma. Right on the actually on the day that I graduated from college mm. is when I went back to therapy. Like the morning that I was supposed to graduate. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Did it? Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Uh, I I really loved have you how you differentiated between just being dry and actual sobriety. So yeah, that was that was a perfect answer. Back okay, over cool. back back over to
3: Eric with the weather. So, um, yeah, you were were talking about how you had a surgery when uh, Mm. you were younger and that that was kind of your introduction to pills. Um, Yeah. So I've I've had tons of surgeries and, you know, my first introduction to drugs was through a doctor. So I guess Mm -hmm. um, do you believe that that incident – Jump started your addiction or do you believe without that particular incident things might have gone in a different direction?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say yes, but I will say no. Um, I think, um, that with my, my case, not everyone, I think I was born with an addictive personality, Mm -hmm. um, and that it was bound to happen without having the right foundation that I now have in recovery. Um, Cause before I got introduced to pills I was already doing things like spice and salvia um mm-hmm. on top of weed. Salvia. Um pills been,
2: yeah
1: Sorry. I was doing whatever I could get my hands on. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't think with that like that was just my introduction to pills, not necessarily drugs. Okay. Um, okay. but it was when I started snorting painkillers and snorting other medications and um, just experimenting more. Before, I only smoked things that I thought, because I was stupid, okay, you gotta remember this. <laughs> <laughs> I was stupid, and so I thought like, oh, it's just a form of weed when I would smoke this stuff. <laughs> and, like, it's not really a drug. Um, so, uh, and I was doing it like with my boss at the time and um, where I was working and coworkers, and so I thought it was all normal, uh, everyone did this. Mm. but they didn't do it to the extent that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't recognize that. So back to your question. I don't think so. Okay. I think I would have still come to the point that I was at just because of a lot of different factors were involved, like that traumatic event that I keep uh, mm-hmm. alluding to, like mm-hmm. depression and then just the experiences that I already had. Plus my, um, I would say my biological disposition from heredity. Um, so Yeah. All right. Great answer.
3: Oh, did you have a follow-up, Eric? It was kind of like a sick question, you know, about Salvia. Like, We're,
0: we're not, no, no sick I, questions tonight. I just want to, you know. I'll no, just... no sick questions tonight. We're not doing that. It's
3: fine. <laughs> it's fine.
0: Um, so you said you're part of, like, the sober fellowship and not the clean fellowship? The one that deals with, like, <laughs> more, well, the, the fellowship that deals more with alcohol than with uh, narcotics? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so what, did you ever try the, the Clean Fellowship, and what made you choose one over the other?
1: Um, I did not, Okay. Um, and it was just because um, I never, when I first started, I never identified as an addict. I saw that I had drug abuse problems, but not necessarily addiction, which okay. I disagree with now. Okay. Um, But that was my thought when I came into the room. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: It was more, when I first came to recognize I had a problem, it was with alcohol. Okay. Um, And so I just stuck with it from there. I fell in love with the fellowship, and I just stayed. Um, And I heard from people in the program, they're they're almost exactly the same program. It's just the solidarity of purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm like, I'd rather identify as this for my recovery, uh, for with alcohol, because this is what I feel like I mainly struggled with. Okay. Because I, that was harder to give up for me mm-hmm. than drugs were.
0: All right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's a great answer. Um, um, all right. How would you like here at Podcast Recovery? We believe that like everybody has their own uh, avenue of recovery, be it whatever 12-step fellowship or sometimes Mm -hmm. it's faith, sometimes it's other fellowships. So what does recovery
1: mean to you? Oh my gosh. Recovery gave me a new beginning. Um, It means everything to me. It helped me develop my relationship with my higher Mm power. It helped me fix other broken relationships. It helped me become sane. Mm. Recovery is everything for me. Yeah, Um, And I'm so grateful for the 12-step program. I'm so grateful for the day my friend pushed me to go back to a meeting and then grabbed me a sponsor. Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful for my relapse even because it showed me that I was missing something in my step work. It was keeping me from being happy, joyous, and free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am just beyond grateful, and I try to give back in any way I can. Uh, when I'm asked to speak, even though I hate speaking, mm-hmm. um, I speak. I show up. I do the service commitment. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I give back
3: when I
0: can because I'm
3: so grateful for it. Absolutely. All
0: right. Perfect answer.
3: All right. So this is our last question. The final
0: question And um, for a million dollars.
3: So <laughs> I guess, you know, we, we see ourselves differently from the point in time when, you know, we reach the end of the road of addiction into where we are in today, today in recovery. So I guess, Mm -hmm. can you describe kind of where you saw yourself at the end of your road Mm -hmm. and how you see yourself today and how, Mm -hmm. you know, those kind of, the contrast of, you know, where you were
1: to where you are? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Good question. Um, And I've actually been reflecting upon that question this month with so many changes happening and getting my one-year celebrating my birthday, um, getting engaged. Um, so when I first, uh, when I first entered the rooms, um, I was so hopeless. I saw myself as a piece of garbage. who wasn't worth anyone's time. Mm. I didn't think I could be happy. I didn't think I deserved love. Mm. I didn't think I was lovable. Even, um, I, I was just so distraught and, um, it, a lot of it, too, like, I hate to say it like this because some people might take it wrong, but a lot of it comes from pride and the ego. Um, mm. Those thoughts, is very self-centered. Um, yeah. You're focused on yourself mm-hmm. and, like, what could make me happy. I could, I could never be happy instead of, like, being altruistic and saying, how can I make other people happy, which in turn, like, gives us purpose. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that's where I was at when I first entered the room. Like, I didn't think I was worth a sponsor's time. Um, even mm. so, like, I would call him, he wouldn't answer, and I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess he's busy. Um, but I would just take it all personal. I was very sensitive. Everything was about me. Like, mm. I must be bothering them. Not, hey, they must be busy, but I must be bothering them. Um, it was just very selfish. Um, now I'm, I'm happy. I'm really depressed. Um, I'm able to balance having a full-time job, um, having a a full-time student and recovery and working with my sponsee and being happy and showing him that life is all about your perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's my biggest thing that I like to, for lack of better words, preach about is, um, perspective because that's everything. Um, you can look at a situation from a negative perspective and that's how your day is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're probably about something The situation's not going to change and that's because of your perspective And that's what I'm teaching him Because um, he's still young He's younger than I am And I'm pretty young in recovery mm-hmm. He's a, uh, a teen So I'm like You still have a lot of growing up in life in general And then now getting sober Has kept you from growing up even more And so um, he's exactly where I was at 17 mm-hmm. So I see a lot of that hopelessness but I see a lot of that potential in him mm-hmm. to do great things. And I'm just like, I wish I had someone like me in his life. That sounds so arrogant, but I'm serious. Yeah. i wish I had someone like me from him in my life when I was 17. Because I had a great mentor, mm-hmm. um, but he didn't understand what I was going through. And so it was hard for him to give me advice. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm so grateful for him. He just couldn't connect the way I can with my small food. Yeah, um, And so... I have this new view of life, and I have this new perspective of life, um, and I did, and this new perspective of me than I did when I first got sober.
0: Hmm. Fantastic! All right, well, I'm I'm out of questions, and I believe Eric is as well. That's correct, sir. So uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We're going to give you a golf clap. Of course. <laughs> you did a great job man uh, we really appreciate you coming out and uh, sharing your story with us um, but now we're going to give you a, a quick hot minute to uh, give a message to the listeners out there who are struggling in either addiction or in recovery maybe in uh, mental illness uh, what do you have to say for those mm-hmm. people uh, what sort of message of hope
1: do you want to give them Um, keep trying even when it seems like there's no hope, mm-hmm. put in the effort. Yeah. Um, your recovery is based on the work that you put in. Mm-hmm. Your happiness is based on your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep crying and keep pushing. And from from someone who didn't think this was true, it does get better, but you have to put in the work. Yep. God will provide you the means, and he has a calling and will for your life But you need to put in the work because he's giving you that ability to do so. Yeah.
2: Right.
0: perfect well again we'd like to thank you for joining us and uh we would like to thank our guest john for joining us today absolutely man it's a, it was a pleasure uh here at podcast recovery we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction we work to bring the message of hope to every addict wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. So John, uh, one more time, thank you. Keep following us. Listen to the rest of our episodes. Follow us on Twitter. Invite your friends. Tell all your friends about it. If you have anybody you'd like to hear their story, uh, and send them our way, man. Um, Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, most importantly, everybody out there who's listening, thank you for listening, and stay safe, stay clean, and sober.